to share a few things that they've helped me. Um, they help a lot of people. And the reason they help a lot of people is that this is God's way of helping people. Um, when we start thinking about spiritual warfare, we think like spiritual Nintendos. Like, ooh, you know, this demon and, oh, the enemy's against this. The way spiritual warfare actually works, it happens within a particular context. And as Christians, we got to understand the context. we got to understand what God's really after. And then we got to understand and then actually use the tools that God gives us. You know, though I'm a prophetic guy, I'm going to be really practical. Really, really practical. So, well, you, ha- you have notes, these cute little yellow things. Um, here's the first thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you're born again, that you have actually given your past, your present, and your future to the real Lord Jesus who died for you. I'm, I'm, that's my hope that you've actually done that. Um, you going to church, you even being blessed by God, you even experiencing the presence of God, that doesn't make you in. What makes you in is the Lord leads you to a place where you go, hmm, I'm going to sign away my ownership papers to, to the one who died for me. He will forgive me. He'll start a new work in me. He'll lead me. He'll guide me. I'll bear fruit, I'll have a changed life, and then I get to go heaven only because I made that, that fateful exchange. So I, I'm, I'm, most of you have made that kind of tra- transaction. Are you perfect? No. Are you perfect yet? No. There will be a time, if you're a Christian, that you'll go, ah, no more issues. Rejoice, because you'll be in heaven. But until then, there's always going to be something that God's going to be doing in us. So I'm speaking to believers right now. This doesn't mean that if, if you haven't given your life to the Lord, you haven't signed away your past, present, and future to Jesus, it doesn't mean that what I'm saying is irrelevant. It's going to be very irrelevant. But let's say you get born again. Now what? Hold on till heaven? No. When you get born again, you have been drafted into a mission. Whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, we are on a mission. We are called to advance the kingdom of God, not only through the church family, but through our individual lives. This is not a religious thing. It's not being able to do the four laws and and hook people and bring them into church and all. There's something about the the primary reason why the church exists. The primary reason why you exist is that as we let God do stuff in us, he'll do stuff through us, and our lives make a difference. That's why we're here. That's why we're not, we don't immediately go to heaven. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus told his disciples, as the Father has sent him, I'm sending you. That's offensive. For me, if I were following Jesus, you know, watching him do all these cool things, I would go, oh, I'm with Jesus. He's great. He's, he's opposing the Pharisees. He's raising the dead. I'm a Christian. I'm getting blessed by him. I'm with him. 
And in the middle of that, he just turns to me and goes, you know, the mission that I'm on, you're on the same mission. I go, no, I'm not. I'm just a follower of Jesus. No, no, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Wait a second. You mean I'm actually on this mission right now? Yep. But I didn't choose to be on this mission. I just wanted to get born again, be blessed, and identify with you. I didn't choose to be on this mission. And Jesus would have probably told me, you're right. You didn't choose. I did. So we're, whether we know or not, we're on a mission. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, I'm going to build this church. Uh, there's going to be a rock on which I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What's the rock? The rock is Jesus becoming more and more real to us and in us. As the Holy Spirit makes Jesus real more, in, more real to us and in us, that strengthens us, and the evidence of our being strengthened by God is not just a more fruitful life. The evidence of our being strengthened by God is that we start making a difference in our spheres of influence. Jesus' promise is, as I strengthen my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, meaning the kingdom of God will come out of the church family and push back things, rescue people, and the enemy won't be able to stop it. Will the enemy push back? Absolutely. Will people who are not friends of Jesus push back? Absolutely. Will we get dinged? Absolutely. Will it be inconvenient? Absolutely. But the promise is not, will the Great Commission be convenient? The promise is, as we go forward, we'll eventually win. The gates of hell will not prevail. Matthew 28, he gets even more specific. He says, all authority has been given to me. That's Jesus' nice Jewish way of saying, I'm the boss of you. Or it's actually a more New Jersey way. I'm the boss of you. No, if it's really New Jersey, it'd be, I'm the boss of you. Anyway, he goes, I'm the boss of you. Now, I want you to go and make disciples, teaching people to obey me. I know if I was there, I would have said, Jesus, I hear what you're saying. You want me to go make disciples, teaching them to obey you, but go where? And I'm, I'm convinced Jesus would go, I'm not telling, because that's not what I'm talking about. In your going, in your going, look to be a demonstration of what it is to be a Christian, not a perfect one. Demonstrate what kingdom living is like. Demonstrate what it is to learn to follow Jesus and do it in a way that impacts other people. In your going. So be a Christian not only on Sunday morning, but go home. I mean, a lot of people make sacrifices for church, but they won't lay their lives down for their, for their wives. Ah, come on, you're missing an opportunity to advance the kingdom in your own home. It's just an amazing... Ah, sorry, I got off. So we're on a mission, whether we like it or not. Doesn't mean we have to be perfect. But we've got to realize we're on this mission. And I've already intimated this mission is not an easy one. It's not convenient. We are actually at war. Now, again, this is not a Nintendo type of war. But we're, we're at war. We, we, are, we are living in the middle of a very long-standing spiritual battle. Started in the garden. Adam, Eve, 
enjoying the blessings, blessings of God. The enemy just sort of deceived Eve. Then Adam was weak. He really didn't protect his wife. He didn't lead his wife the way he needed to. He just said, oh, whatever you want, dear. Oh, sure. So you don't get mad at me, I'll eat your apple too. I mean, this is an amazing thing. And so the battle started. They lost the blessing of God and then had to wander around. God still loved them, but they weren't nearly as close with God as they were before. Look at the history of Israel. Oh my gosh. They're enslaved, enslaved by the Egyptians. They're, I mean, harsh ta- tax taskmasters. They, they were really mean to them. And, and then God sent a deliverer, Moses, and he delivers them and through a lot of difficult battles. And then he says, I don't want to just deliver you from, from Egypt. I don't want to just deliver you from darkness. I don't want to just deliver you from sin. I want to deliver you so that you can experience my promises, so that you can take land. There is a land of promise that you can't experience while you're enslaved. But once you're set free, once you're set free, then God can lead you so that you can experience more of the promises of God in your life. That's what happened. And these people, they were just like us. They were stubborn. They were scared. They were insecure. And they just had this long journey toward the promised land. And a lot of defeats, a lot of, you know, three steps forward, eight steps back. But but the, the whole history of Israel is one battle after another that are designed by God either to discipline the people of Israel or to strengthen them so that they can actually experience the promises of God. Battle after battle. If you look at Jesus' earthly ministry, oh my gosh. I mean, initially there was an attempt to abort Jesus. I mean, I could go off, but I'm not going to. You know, when, when, when people start realizing maybe there's a Messiah coming, let's, let's abort. Let, let's kill all the babies. Let's kill all the babies that hopefully we'll be able to get that Messiah baby. Abortion is the enemy's attempt to just really destroy a lot of future destiny and calling. It's insidious. It's insidious. The enemy's insidious, not people. Anyway, so Jesus, uh, he... Uh, he had to actually be brought in sort of like an undercover op, right? He, you know, the, the, the story's crazy. Yeah, there's this little virgin girl, and the Holy Spirit comes. Hopefully you know this story. The Holy Spirit comes, and boom, she's pregnant. And then her, then her husband-to-be is convinced by an angel, no, really, it was God. All right, I'll still marry her. I mean, it was really tough. That was a battle right there. And then throughout all of Jesus' ministry, the enemy attacked him. He had these disciples who thought they were doing good, but they were really working against him. Plus, there was the religious guys. I mean, then the political... His whole ministry was one battle after another. He wasn't walking around like he was on quaaludes going, oh, my people. He was, I mean, it was a battle. Sorry about that, but never mind. I won't go there. Everywhere that Jesus went... He would expose and then oppose anything that misrepresented who the Father was like. 
And he raised the dead. He demonstrated that the kingdom of God is way better than anything that man could come up with. Way better than anything. Righteousness, peace, joy, power, all this stuff. And Jesus demonstrated it. And his reward for such an incredible ministry is that all the powers that be rose up and murdered him unjustly. Talk about a battle. Talk about a battle. And just look at Christianity now. I mean, we're doing okay here in the United States. But I get around. I go to places where it's not that easy. The church history, if you look at the historical price that the church has had to pay simply to exist, the ongoing price that Christians now are paying simply to follow Jesus, we're not even talking about politics or anything like that. It's a battle, I tell you. This idea when you're born again, you're sort of dropped into this nursery and you go, there, there, there. We'll get you strong enough to fight a battle. Nobody has ever had that testimony. How many, I don't want to see the hands, but many of us, as soon as we get born again, all hell breaks loose. People we thought were friends are not friends anymore. Things that we used to do, nah, we can't do that anymore. Things get unsettled. Now, I'm not saying that Christianity is this really bad deal. It's the best deal in the universe. But it's a war. So we have this mission. And this mission is within the context of a war. The advancement of the kingdom of God in us and through us, there's some challenges. There are two enemies. Two enemies. One is an external enemy. There is a kingdom. We'll call it the world system. Satan runs it. You know, and I think one of the biggest outlets is MTV. You know, I'm sounding like an, an old guy, but I'm not an old guy. I just know what I'm talking about. Um, there is a kingdom. It's called the world system. There, there are uh, non-kingdom values, ways of doing things that actually are utterly incompatible with God's ways of doing things. And there's no way to strike a proper balance between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Living the gospel and advancing the kingdom just in little ways, it'll bring challenges to us. Because the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the will of Jesus may very well offend, challenge, and even displace many of the things that our culture holds near and dear. It just will. As a matter of fact, in Scripture it says anybody who wants to live a godly life, just wants to live a godly life, they'll be challenged, they'll be inconvenienced. They'll be persecuted. There is an enemy who prowls around seeking to devour us, to deceive us, to distract us, to kill us, to steal us to de- uh, from us, to destroy us. There are people, even in this room, who have heard the whisper, why not? Just end it. What's the point? What's the point? And it's the enemy whispering, saying, your life doesn't matter. Your life will be better Think about how crazy. Your life will be better if you were dead. Everybody else would be happier if you were dead. Nobody but the enemy would say that. So the enemy does prowl around and, and just lie. Or, oh, my husband, he's a good man, but obviously he is punishment for my past sins. You know, how people think that way. Or you get married, you go through life, you know, and have a few kids, and you go, Oh, maybe we really didn't love each other at the beginning. It's just the enemy trying to steal from us. There are gates of hell. There are challenges, places of resistance. There are battles. 
We will have trials. Many people have trials and they go, obviously God's mad at me. Obviously I'm a failure because I'm trials. Uh, I have trials. But God's saying, you're going to have trials. There's going to be battles. The world will hate us. The world system actually will hate us because the world actually hates Jesus. Sometimes people actually want to kill us. I mean, this is just Bible stuff. I'm not making this stuff up. So there is an external enemy. And then there's an internal enemy. There is a war and an enemy within ourselves. In Galatians 5, really interesting thing. Our sinful nature. You know, those areas in the, of life that are not just, not yet led by the Holy Spirit. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the si- sinful nature. They are at war. They are in conflict with each other so that you not do what you want. It's an amazing thing. How many of you want to you know, love one another as Jesus loves you, and there's this person, you go, oh, Lord, the way I'd like to express my love to them is to kill them. Can I do that? Can I just off them? I mean, it's just really amazing you know, all the opportunities we have around us to learn how to love. I mean, really. You know, love is supposed to be like, oh, here, let's have some cherry ice cream and blow bubbles and hold hands and, I don't know, it's not in the Bible. I wish it were, because it'd be easier to love. Now, that's the bad news. We're on a mission, whether we like it or not. We're born again, we are on a journey, and during that journey, we have things to accomplish, and this journey will have challenges. This journey will have battles. Now, God does not say, hey, look, I chose you, you're born again, go fight the battles, and when you're all done, I'll check your work. No, that's not what he does. What God does is he equips us. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being sent to war and the first time you ever get your hand on, 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 on a rifle is when the enemy first starts shooting on you. That would be scary. You'd, be, you'd probably be a lot of friendly fire. What God wants to do is give us what we need and learn how to use these tools, not just so that we can fight a battle here, but fight a battle here, but use these tools, incorporate them into our lives so that as we go forward, we'll just be able to fight the battles effectively as they come to us. God, God is, he's a strange God. He, he thinks things, he actually thinks that the battles that he arranges for us to fight, they're actually good for us because if we fight his way, not only will we bring him glory, but we will get stronger. We'll connect with God in a deeper way. He's actually thinking that battles and challenges are good for us if we decide to fight his way. God's got this attitude. He's utterly convinced that he's God. And he thinks that his ways are right. And, you know, we humans, we go, God, great idea. That's a great plan A. But I got a plan B that you should really think about. I mean, there's, like, we, we try to cut these, 
these deals with God, trying to negotiate, well, I got my way. Would you just get behind my way? And then if that works, I'll get behind your way. No, God is actually convinced not only are his the best ways, they're the only ways that will work. So here's some things that if you start learning to use these weapons, more and more, you, when the challenges come, you'll know what to do. You'll be able to navigate these battles for your own self, for the people that you say you care about, and for the glory of God. Here's the first one. You ready? You are not ready. You are not ready. You're waiting for the snow. Here's the first one. Learn to keep your head. How do you do that? It's really easy. I'm telling you. What, I, it's simple, but it's not easy. Here's how you keep your head. Read your Bible. The Bible is its not old and all. The, the Bible is powerful. Words of God are powerful. You don't even have to remember all the things you read. Just read them. They'll get in there, and just magically, they'll start transforming you. Listen, there was this lady one time. I was doing these revival meetings in, was it Morris, Minnesota? Yeah, I was in Morris, Minnesota. And um, she came up to me in a bank. And she goes, aren't you that guy doing this? Yeah, I go, well, yeah, I'm doing those meetings. Well, my daughter went there, and yeah, she said she's born again and spirit with it. What are you You're brainwashing those kids. And I'd never heard that before. I was a newbie at this stuff. I had never heard. And what came out of my mouth was the genius of the Holy Spirit. I went, hmm. The issue is not whether or not you're brainwashed. The issue is what you wash your brain with. And, you know, I'm sitting there, yeah, that was a good one. I'm going to write that one down. <laughs> so what do you wash your brain with? Listen, I'm not saying, you know, throw away some of your Western novels or things like that. But I'm saying, look, what is your daily diet? The Word of God is powerful. It brings life. It changes you. It will wash your brain. It'll tick you off every so often. But it will wash your brain. And I'm... I'm telling you, the more you read the Word of God and just spend time, and if you don't like reading, just get a, listen to it. Some of you, you know, you're like ADD, you can't sit down and do something. Well, great. Go jogging or whatever it is. Go fishing. No, you can't go fishing and listen because the fish might be scared. There's something about, you can listen to the Bible. Just, just wash your brain with the Bible so that when the enemy comes, when the enemy comes, you'll go, no, that's not right. The count, you know how they teach counterfeiters, uh, 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 treasury agents to detect uh, the counterfeit? Spending a lot of time with real money. Just spend time with real money. And when the counterfeit comes, you'll go, ooh, this feels different. So spend time reading your Bible. Go ahead. And some of you don't do it in the morning. Some of you, it's an absolute waste of time to do anything early in the morning especially before coffee. But find a time when you can just read the Bible, plant this stuff, and I'm telling you, over time, you will see that you'll be able to keep your head. Here's another way to keep your head. In uh, 2 Corinthians, Scripture says, um, you know, we tear down strongholds, ways of thinking that stand against the knowledge of God. And these, these strongholds can be old ways of thinking, wounded ways of thinking, traditional or religious ways of thinking. There's a lot of ways of thinking that stand against the knowledge of God. A lot of them. You know, like God helps those who help themselves. Find that in the Bible. But many of us live our lives as if that's true. So we have a lot of strongholds. 
Scripture says we, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. How do you do that? I'm gonna, th- this will change your life. I'm telling you, if you will just do what I tell you to do. All right? Next time you have one of those thoughts like, oh, that was a great message by my, Pastor Mike, and I want to say thank you, but he, he was shaking everybody else's hand, but he didn't shake mine. He probably doesn't like me. You know that one? Or my husband, he got up, and all he did was grunt when he saw me. He's obviously mad. Right? You know what you do? You just go, Lord, what do you think of that thought? Take the thought, make it obedient to Christ. It'll do two things. One, it'll buy you time. (laughs) But the second thing, the Holy Spirit will go, you know, that's stupid. Instead of presuming that your husband's mad at you, just go to him and go, hey, honey, you seem a little grumpy. Are you upset? Yeah, I got a lot to do today. I'm sorry, honey. Oh, okay. There's something about taking captive our thoughts and make it obedient to Christ. Do you realize how many stupid things that we do mainly because we earnestly believe some stupid things? You're all looking at me like I just insulted you. Remember, I said, I said we, okay? So I'm in this. But one of the things in spiritual warfare is be able to keep your head. The Holy, when you read the Bible, here's what's interesting. You don't have to memorize everything because the Holy Spirit at the right time will remind you of what Jesus said to you when you were reading his word. How many times do you just read the word and, you, and then when the battle comes, you just go, all right, I'm going to keep my head. And then the Holy Spirit reminds you of something that will help you navigate this problem. It's an amazing thing. So learn to keep your head. Here's the second thing. It takes a while, but learn to keep your heart. How how do you keep your heart? In Ephesians 4, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Hebrews 12, it says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up uh, to cause trouble and to defile many. Listen. Other people sin against us. Those things hurt. They damage us. They put limits on us. They make us feel bad things about ourselves. But none of those things are worth holding on to at the expense of what God has for us. Why should we let what someone did to us determine who we are, who God is to us, and how far we can go with God? The, The reason we forgive it's not just so that we can be healed. The reason we forgive is so that we're free enough to actually follow God. Now, whether you like this or not, Scripture says, look, if you just won't forgive, there's, there's grace that God has for you, you're going to miss it. Because we're so busy just getting mad, using what other people have done as an excuse for you to turn your life over to God or to do, start doing things differently. You'll miss the grace of God But also, don't think this is a private thing. When we harbor bitterness, we'll defile those in our sphere of influence. We'll teach other people how to be bitter. We'll teach other people how to navigate offenses. We'll teach it. We will defile many. The enemy would love to get someone to offend you so you get all out of sort. 
And you get so out of sorts, you go, I can't stand church and I can't stand people. And then your kids go, I don't like church either. And it's just an offense will not only ruin you, it'll ruin the uh, people around you. It's not just please forgive them so you can be happy. That's true. But there's a war being fought not only for your future, but there is a war being fought over the destiny and the nature and direction of the people who've been entrusted to you. So we keep our heart. Look, when, someone, when someone's a jerk to me, and I have great opportunities, while they're being a jerk to me, I'm smiling, and in my head, I'm going, oh, Lord, I forgive them. I forgive them, right? Ooh, that hurt. Mm. I forgive them. Why? What I, that little weed seed that they're putting in to my garden... If I let that thing take root, that weed seed is going to suck nutrients that are meant for what God's put in me. So it is not worth it. It is just not worth it. So as best as I can, I try to not only keep my head, but keep my heart. Here's another one. Keep growing. Now, now, for some of you, I'm not talking like this. Keep growing. Hey, honey, he said we could have three pizzas for lunch. That's not what I'm saying. Look, keep maturing, keep growing. And how do you do this? Do it God's way. Do you realize? Sorry. In Hebrews chapter 12, we all have a race. We all have a destiny. We all have a calling. We're supposed to run our race. And it says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You know, when you first get born again, there's a whole bunch of issues in your life that God doesn't touch. But you 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 get rid of this, you get rid of this, you start running after God. And as you run, all of a sudden, oh, there's another thing. There's another thing. Did you know between now and when we get to Jesus, there will always be something that we get to throw off? Always. Think of yourself as someone training for the Olympics. There are some really bad things that if you do them, that'll get in the way of you doing well in the Olympics. But there's some good things. You could justify them. It's only, you know, two pounds of ice cream right before a race. You know, there's, there, you can always get the exceptions. As we go forward, God will bring up things and go, how much do you want this? If you want this, why don't you just give up that? Now, you can whine or you can complain or you can realize that God is lightening your load so that you can move forward. Keep growing. There was this guy, his name was Phil Regan. Um, Back when I knew him, he was 92 years old. And he did more things than I've ever heard anybody have done in the kingdom, but he was never in Charisma magazine. He was just a crazy guy. Planted churches. He had sons and daughters all over the world. Uh, Spiritual... (laughs) Sons and daughters. And uh, a great guy. And, and his wife, Rose, just incredible people. And he started going blind. This is when I was uh, based in Florida. He started going blind. And it was, he, it was an honor. He said, hey, look, I like walking along the boardwalk. Would you come with me? You know, because I don't want to get lost. And, I, you know, I go, it was an honor. So I just sort of hold on to him. And I would ask him questions. He'd talk. You know, I'm already in ministry, but pff, I need to learn from this guy. Well, one time we're, we're sitting down. And we're looking at the ocean. Well, I was looking at the ocean. And he was hearing the ocean. And he goes, Ben, I'm just so excited for what God has for me. 
And I'm going, you're 92 years old. <laughs> Heaven. Yeah. And I said that. And he goes, no, no, no. No, God's got some other things that he has for me. He's been speaking to me about it. And, and I go, well, how do you know that? He goes, oh, he's doing a deep work in me. What do you mean a deep work in you? You're like as close to Jesus as anybody I've ever met. He goes, yeah, God's getting at some pride in me. And, and, and I'm going, what do you mean pride? I want to be like you. You know, and he's talking about how God is bringing him to places of deep repentance, not to slap him, but to set him up for the next season of his life. And I'm going, I'm going to learn from that. I mean, he was excited that God loved him enough to say, you know, this thing is actually going to get in the way of the next thing. So why don't you, give, why don't you get rid of this thing? Why don't you let me deliver you from this or show you a different way to do this? Why don't you let me touch this? Why don't you throw this thing off, no longer tolerate it or manage it or coddle it? Why don't you just take steps and say, no more. Get this out of me, and I'll give you something much better. And he's 92 years old. He kept on growing. Kept on I tell you, one of the greatest ways to fight, keep your head, keep your heart, always look at all your challenges as opportunities to keep growing. Always. Even if you've screwed up, you go, hmm, I screwed up, I produced this. I'm not going to do this anymore. Learn from it. Failure is only fatal when you refuse to learn from your failures. Here's another one. Keep your head, keep your heart, keep growing. Develop a habit of repentance. Not self-flagellation. Not, I'm just a worm. But just know as you go forward, God is going to change us from glory to glory as we follow him, as we behold him. Keep filled with the Holy Spirit. This doesn't mean keep praying in tongues in the middle of Walmart. It doesn't mean making yourself... You know, hey, everybody, look at me, how spiritual I am. That's not what it is. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is sort of a daily, for me, sometimes an hourly thing. Where I choose, Lord, I choose to be surrendered to you and, and any one of your ministries right now. There are so many things that the Holy Spirit can do for us. He can lead us into truth. He can comfort us. He can convict us of sin. He can equip us. He can lead us and guide us. There's so many things. There's not just one thing. And he can give you spiritual gifts. He can actually give you an anointing to do things that you can't do in your own strength. There are so many things. And the key is just to choose to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit and then see what he does. I'm not making this up. As a matter of fact, the best example of a spirit-filled believer is our hero. Our primary example, the Lord Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. And you all know what happened in the desert. There was a battle. Did that battle come as a surprise to Jesus? Uh uh uh. Jesus equipped himself, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he was led by the Holy Spirit into some battles. And at each of those battles, the enemy either tried to say, look, your hunger, this internal thing that's going, why don't you just bend the knee to that, and then you can tell the stones to you know, become bread. Or you, 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 you can rule all the world, or you can do all the... 
because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he went, hmm, I see what you want, and I see what God wants. I mean, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you actually see where the battle lines are. Without the Holy Spirit, you'll be confused. But when you're surrendered to the Holy Spirit, hmm, enemy, God's way. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't just get understanding, you actually get some power. To go, huh, this is the right answer, this is the wrong answer. Since I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I actually have power to start walking in the way of the right answer. It's an amazing thing. Jesus did that, filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, had battles, and because of his dependence on the Holy Spirit, he was able to identify the battle and overcome the opposition. And Scripture says when he came out of the desert, he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of us want the power, but many times the path to real power is becoming victorious in those battles against the enemy. And here's the last one. And in a funny way, I mean, I'm so pastoral now, it's driving me nuts. I know. It's, how do you do it, Mike? Yeah. In the South, we get filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we go, well, bless your heart. That's how we swear in the South. Well, bless your heart. Anyway, well, hey, you guys do the same thing, only you do it differently. Well, uh, that's different. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I never heard that before. Right, it's, a, it's like bless your heart. Anyway, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Learn to keep your head. Read your Bible. Learn to take captive your thoughts and say, God, what do you think? Keep your heart. Always forgive. Always forgive, even through grit teeth. Keep growing. When God says, look, i got a better way, don't assume that your way, well, it's okay enough. No. Throw off the things that get in the way of the next thing that God has for you. <sighs> choose on a daily basis. Lord, I choose this day to be surrendered to your spirit and watch the cool things he does. He leads and guides and he'll check you. He'll give you boldness. He'll give you words to say. The other one is, and funny I normally wouldn't say this, but I think this is the most important one. Keep connected. Keep connected. This morning I was, you know, um, watching YouTube. Sometimes that's how I, you know, pass the time. And there was this, there was, it was a tiger? No, 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 no. It was a, it was a lion. And there were these gazelles. And what did, what did the lion go after? The biggest, baddest gazelle in the middle of the pack? Nope kept on crawling until one got separated from the pack. And then boom. Being connected. Doesn't, you don't even have to like everybody. I'm, honestly, I mean, there's some people I'm connected with that I love them in the Lord, but I can't stand them in the flesh. You know what I mean? <laughs> but making this commitment to live the Christian life outside of corporate meetings is so important for spiritual victory. Watch. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, so let us not give up meeting together as some in their habit of doing, 
but let us encourage one another. So honestly, you can't really get encouraged by someone unless you're in their proximity. We get our encouragement, of course, from the Lord, but from one another. Here's another one. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 13. says, encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Listen, there's something fascinating. Let's say you, you, you bite the apple, you believe a lie and all that, and sometimes what that does, that'll isolate you. But if you just go back into fellowship, go to a small group, hang out, have coffee, share with someone you know, what's going on in your life, it's amazing. You'll go, wait a second, what I'm thinking really is a bunch of garbage. And it's not because anybody convinced you. You're just in the light of fellowship. You're just connecting with one another. And when you have really good friends who really know you and still love you, you got to have a couple friends like that where they go, hey, man, you know, that's pretty goofy thinking. You know I love you, but that's just dumb. I mean, we need people like that. That's, that's why I'm in Mike's life. He's always telling me I'm done. Yeah, you thought... Here's 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what's the evidence that we're walking in the light? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. This is an incredible weapon of warfare. I don't know how it works, but when I'm in vital fellowship with other people, you know, Casey's sitting there going, you go, you go, yeah, small groups. Small groups is one of the most powerful weapons of warfare. Because when we get connected and all, just being in the presence of one another and the Lord, because, you know, when two or more are gathered, he's right there. It's amazing. That's evidence that we're walking in the light. And just being there, we experience forgiveness. Being there, we experience cleansing. Being there, we get our brain washed. Does that make sense? Now, I say all that to get to the primary principle that I didn't put on here. The primary principle of spiritual warfare. And this, the enemy from without, the enemy from within, what's the basic stance? It's in James chapter 4, verse 7. Our first step is to submit to God then resist the enemy. The first step is to submit. To, submitting to God doesn't mean getting yourself perfect or right. It's just stopping and going, yes, sir, reporting for duty. Yes, sir, here I am. Yes, sir, I surrender. That, that's, that's the default of spiritual war, warfare. Because once we go, all right, Lord, right now, I'm in a battle and all, but first, first, I'm not going to fight the battle. I'm going to submit to you. God, I'm yours. You own me. You love me. You died for me. You have a plan for me. All hell's breaking loose. Oy vey. You guys don't use oy vey. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What's the other one? Oofta. Oofta. Right? But, God, we need you. I need you. I turn to you. I surrender to you. I don't know how I'm going to act tomorrow, but right now I'm reporting for duty. I surrender. Boom. That's the number one position for spiritual warfare. And if you do that enough, it actually becomes your default. When, when there's a problem, you just go, Lord, I surrender. When you're fasting and your stomach goes, you go, instead of fighting the, you just go, 
Lord, I surrender to you. Man, that buys you time but gives you grace to say no to one more meal. It's just amazing. Learning how to just submit to God, then you're in a position to resist the enemy. And I'm telling you, learning to keep your head, learning to keep your heart, learning to keep growing, learning to be filled, learning to keep uh, connected, all of those are ways of submitting to God. Don't say you're submitted to God and you're not willing to do any of these things. But if you're willing to do these things and developing that lifestyle, you are developing a posture that God's going to teach me and equip me so that in all circumstances, all battles, all inconveniences, my default is, "Mm, I'm going to submit to God. When you start doing that, it's not like you're going to be looking for battles, but when the battles come, and they will come, you'll go, ah, what a great opportunity to demonstrate God. What a great opportunity for me to get stronger. What a great opportunity for me to throw off some stuff. What a great opportunity for me to trust God at a deeper level. It's different. It's not pie in the sky. This is real life. Nobody who has surrendered to God and done things God's way has ever lost. Nobody who has ever surrendered to God and even imperfectly done things God's way has ever lost. That's how we fight. Now, I, norm- I normally don't do this, especially in this church. I, I'm, you know, altar calls are not biblically mandated, you know. But there are times when the invitation to come forward, God can use it just to break some things. And uh, this isn't a test of your spirituality. What a, whatever is, is done up here, if you come up, it can be done just as easily back there. But sometimes you just need to get the train out of the station. If you're in a battle, whether it's of your own making or it's just something inside or you know, there's some outside things, if you're in a battle and you want to submit to God and say, God, I'm going I'm I'm to stop fighting the battle and I'm going to do the, the needful thing first. If that's what you go, man, I want to sign up. I want to sign up and submit to God, put myself in a position to know what God wants me to do for the next thing. If that's you, please come up and I will pray for you. You could please come up. And what I will do, I mean, not that I'm Mr. Magician or anything. Anybody comes up, I'm going to pray for them. Not so they get charismatic, but they're filled with the Holy Spirit because Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and then led by the Holy Spirit into the battle. God wants to equip you this day for the battles that you will fight as soon as you walk out that door.